special holiday edition of Breaking k Barry, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, all the various and sundry holidays. It is that time of the year, Barry Rose. It's the holiday season. Are you ready? I, you know what? This is so in dating the lovely Linda. We had a conversation, and it, she's it, got it, more plugs than Cholmensky. She does, which is that really says a lot. But we had a talk at the beginning—I should say the beginning of the summer—and three things she was looking for me in our relationship as things progressed. She wanted me to embrace the Philadelphia Eagles this year. She's born and raised in Philly. She loves the Eagles for the last uh, few years that she's been alive. I almost divulged her age, which uh, I would have gotten my ass kicked had I done that. And uh, I did. I embraced the Eagles. I watch every game. I actually went to a game this year. Of course, the Eagles are now 13-1 and based off of me following them. So that's good. The second thing. That's nice that Philadelphia has a team. I wasn't aware of it. Oh, you didn't know that? Well, actually, Philadelphia is in, in, I believe, it has the best record of any uh, NFL team, followed by another team. Right behind them, which would be the Minnesota Vikings. So, oh, oh, wow, Barry, that you actually are watching. I am paying attention. Look at this, Jeff. I right? thought it was all bullshit, like the story. No, going to I that was bullshit. But no, I I am paying attention this year. I uh, I'm watching. I watched the fucking Dolphins in the snowstorm the other night. That was awesome. That hey, was you know what awesome. Sucks is because I have streaming service. We're, we're getting back to the show. I promise, folks. I could not watch any of the three games that were on this past Saturday, including the Buffalo Miami game, uh, because it was, they were all on NFL network. And so I didn't get to see that last fourth quarter where there was a glorious snowstorm going on. And, uh, yeah, I always, I love bad weather games. They're so much fun to watch on television. They're horrible to be at personally, but they're great to watch on TV. I interrupted. Please continue. Yeah. They, they, but uh, boy, was it a fun game. And, uh, I know that our old friend Jeff Singer was watching intently during this massive storm. But the other thing that I had promised her was that I would get into golf. As when we make our move down to Florida in the next couple of months, I will take up golfing. If I don't love it after a couple of months, I'll be done. But I'm going to give it a shot. But the big thing she wanted, Jeff, could I embrace Christmas this year for her? Because Christmas is her favorite holiday. So with that, there's a, a lot of Christmas music taking place. We watch every Christmas movie we can, even ones that aren't considered Christmas movies. Like Die Hard. Um, well, you know, I wasn't going to mention it. To me, Die Hard's a Christmas movie, but. But you're wrong. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I'm okay. And, oh, okay. uh, it's, uh, well, hold on a second. I got to get Michael Herrick and Chris Spiker on the phone because they're going to have to have words. Lou? Lou? <laughs> Did you say Lou or who? But with it, I've embraced Christmas this year. And there's a lot of Christmas movies, music, going out and looking at lights and just doing Christmassy things. So maybe for the first time in many years, this is a big holiday to me right now, Jeff. You know what else is a cause for celebration? I also love uh, the Christmas holiday season. What's that? Barry Rose, I got a little something for you. Okay. I was informed by one of oh, our listeners that he had invited a new listener to join the Breaking Kayfabe About Your Barry experience, if you will, Barry. Yes. So, Barry Rose, I want you to join me in welcoming Llewellyn as a listener and a Facebook member of the group. Tell me why it's kind of cool that Llewellyn's joining the group. Uh, you know, it's cool that anybody is a first-time listener. But why is it cool that Llewellyn is a first-time listener? So I, I don't, I don't have that message at my disposal, but I know that. Yeah, sometimes the, people message me and not you. I, I know you get oh, no, hold, hold hold on, yourself, wait, but, you get no hold on, Mister Ego. Hold on. 
Really, that's what I was going to call you. <laughs> Wrap it up a little bit that I was on that message as well, I believe. I think it came to both of us. David Edelman, if I'm correct, was the young man. Now that I'm thinking about it, but he uh, – I forget where he was, but he basically – has invited somebody, a new listener, like from Portugal or somewhere? No, Llewellyn is from Belize. Belize. Our very first listener from Woo! Belize. Now, we do have international listeners. We have listeners in Germany, England, uh, Japan, Australia. But this is our first listener from Belize. How friggin' cool is that, Barry Rose? Yeah, it is cool. And Belize, too. I, I've never, you ever been to Belize? I've never been there. Uh, I won. I, I planned to go there once, but it fell through. I don't know what happened. Gotcha. <laughs> there you go. I've never been. I heard the diving is out of this world in Belize. I heard the food's great, and I think uh, monetarily, I, well, at least it used to be very affordable place to go. But that's pretty cool. Look, he's got us a listener from Belize. We need to see that map. Remember that we used to get that where it told us where all the listeners were coming from. I think I'm going to make a request. There you go. The great All Brian right. last. So, uh, Barry, a couple other things before we get to our, our match of the week, by the way, going to Japan. Not four, but three Hall of Famers and one guy who should be a Hall of Famer. Perhaps that will be a topic of discussion. Besides that, uh, on the show, we have a little Florida man or not segment. Barry Rose, uh, before we get to some AEW, very brief discussion on uh, a match that happened last week that both you and I really got a kick out of. Barry, we both have enjoyed a new show on Netflix that we want to give our recommendation here on Barry Rose. Tell the folks what you thought of the new show Wednesday. It's an Adam Adam Family uh, uh, storyline. But what did you think of the show Wednesday on Netflix? I, I loved it, too. So I, I stumbled in, and I want to say it was like a Monday night at like 7 o'clock at night. I'm like, what do I watch? And I stumble around, and I'm like, let's give it a shot. I think within the first 15 minutes, I was totally hooked, Jeff. It was that good. You and I talked off air, but the key to this show, there are two keys to it, in my opinion. One is the girl playing Wednesday Adams. Her name escapes me. Ortega. Jenna Ortega. She is beautiful. She is so cute, I should say, if anything. But she's beautiful. But she is petite. She's tiny. Good um, news, Barry. She's oh, she's 20 years old, so you can say she's, uh, you know. Yeah, which I, I think I did check. She has got big, big, beautiful brown eyes. Oh, thank you. I was wondering where you were you going. You thought I was going to go somewhere else. But this is a winning show. The other key, I think, the direction from Tim Burton does a great job. Jeff and I were talking off air, and I think for me, Luis Guzman, the great Luis Guzman playing Gomez Adams. Initially, I did not like it. By the end of the uh, the series, I, I was kind of digging it, though. Kind of Also, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia. And in a nice little uh, uh, sort of homage to some of the Adams Family movies from, I want to say, the, the, like the mid-90s, uh, Christina Ricci uh, is uh, cast as one of the teachers at this particular school, that young Wednesday, who uh, I think uh, the storyline goes that she's maybe 15 years old, uh, that she is sent to this school. There's a great, uh, this is no spoiler, by the way, there's a great scene early, early in the first episode where the reason she's sent to this particular school is, uh, after these uh, these kind of jocks at a public school bully, poor Pugsley, these guys are on like the water polo team. And uh, Wednesday comes into the pool where the water polo team is working out. And she says, nobody gets to bully my brother but me. And she uh, drops piranhas in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very funny scene in the first episode. So uh, 8.3 on the IMDb scale. 
Lots of fun. Can't recommend Wednesday enough. So, Barry, before we go to our match of the week, let's talk very briefly about this past week's AEW show and the match between Chris Jericho. Hold on. Let me give everyone a second to take a deep breath because I know there are lots of Jericho fans out there. Taking on a young man named Action Andretti, Barry Rose, what would you think of that? So I loved it. It was, this is the angle that I think Jericho had to do, and I I think we're going to see, and, and you know, Jericho gets a lot of heat, maybe it's deserved, so I won't even get into that, but Jericho has reinvented himself I don't know, 10 to 15 times. And the first time that I truly recall him doing that, if you remember, Jeff, when he was with WCW and he was mid card, he wasn't a main event guy at that stage, but they put him on a losing, he'd been a baby face. They put him on a losing streak. And every week when he would lose, he would slowly start to lose his mind a little bit and then wound up becoming a full-fledged heel. And really, this was the Jericho that we all knew. So I like that. And I'm hoping that maybe he loses a lot and reinvents himself again. But with it, this is such a great angle. Look, we've seen this done. We we both pointed out, you know, I guess the most famous would be Razor Ramon and One, Two, Three Kid. But this has been done before. This is such an effective angle. What I thought was great, and this action Andretti, I think he's a he's a Philly guy. Or he's a Pennsylvania guy, apparently. I have no idea who he is. I thought he did a great job. I thought he looks great in the ring. I, he absolutely has a future, which obviously Jericho and Tony Khan have, have noticed as well. Jer- I thought it was funny. Jericho basically said, yeah, I'm going to wrestle some guy tonight. He's a jobber. Just right on TV, he's a jobber. And then <laughs> during the match – when the match was taking place and, and he's getting some offense, the fans actually are chanting, let's go jobber without even knowing his name. They're going, let's go jobber. And Taz takes all the fans to task about this disrespectful comment, regardless of the fact that Jericho had said it first. I didn't think this was the route they were going to go, but I'm glad that they did. That right there, in my opinion, is how you create a star. Yeah, this was this is great stuff. And I will just say for all you people that hate the fact that Chris Jericho is still in the ring and is still getting a a push and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's some merit to that. I I don't completely agree with it, but but I, I understand that the opinion. But one thing that I don't think anyone can say about Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho is a really bright guy. And he's a very bright guy out of the ring. He's a very bright guy in the ring, too. And he's a very good, uh, you know, he thinks things out. He apparently spotted this guy a couple months ago. I think they had him on dark, maybe. And he had them take him off dark because he wanted this guy to be someone that no one had heard of. You know, this wasn't like a guy that had been getting a little bit of a rub to on one of the, you know, the prelim spots. And, uh, you know, people would recognize him. He had him taken off so that they could work this spot and this match out. I did happen to catch on Twitter that uh, Sean Waltman, friend of the show, former guest, Barry, uh, was comparing what they had done to his match that uh, he had with Razor Ramon that you referenced earlier. And Sean said the difference is that his match with Razor Ramon, that basically Razor ate him up the whole match, and then Sean just won at the end. I think he said with a cross body block or something like that. Whereas in this match, uh, Action Andretti was given a bunch of different you know spots. He, he got a couple of maybe a two-counter 
uh, one or two, uh, two counts on Jericho. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like Jericho was eating him alive and the guy won by a fluke at the end. You know, this guy was given back as well as he was getting and it made it for a very fun experience. I really enjoyed it. I have called for this. You know, you don't need to do this every, you know, couple of months, but you know, geez, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the the one two three kid and and Razor Ramon what was that like thirty fucking years ago and I can't believe that more promotions don't use this particular match as a way to get somebody over you know we've talked about you know guys like Dante Martin uh, you know that we thought were really this would have been a perfect spot a couple of years ago for Dante Martin and then you send Dante Martin away whether it's to Mexico or to Japan get a little seasoning uh get off you know TV for a couple of months and then you bring him back and you make him a fucking star you know and the the company certainly knows the way to uh, get somebody over as a star they did it with Wheeler Yuta and then like the guy disappears like once you make a guy a star don't fucking have him disappear after you make him a star you know that that's that's one thing that AEW does that makes no sense to me whatsoever but uh, I really enjoyed it uh, I thought it was a a good a good well laid out uh, program and, and I hope they do something with the guy now that they've kind of you know got him over as a star so uh Barry because I know uh before we go to our match of the week let me just uh, throw in a little food related discussion Barry I know you're always a big fan of that so uh the wife and I had a chance to go to a local establishment here in a lovely metropolitan Gainesville Georgia the other night uh, got a little pizza action and uh so as we were uh, in there uh in the restaurant getting ready to have our food uh, brought to us I noticed something Barry and you know we we've, we've talked before about the different staffing issues that restaurant, whether it's uh, a local restaurant like the one we went to or whether it's a chain, you know, uh, you know, like a, a Friday's or, uh, or, or some, you know, like a quicker service, you know, like, uh, what do you call, uh, your Texas Roadhouse, those kind of places. Right. When you have an employee that comes to work that is dressed inappropriately, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean here. The girl that was our server at our table, dark slacks, you know, a, a she had a, a, a blouse. It was like a, it was kind of a t-shirt, but there's nothing wrong with it. But the girl that was helping her out, that was bringing food out was, uh, had an oversized shirt that kind of wasn't like an oversized shirt that was like, you know, looked good. It was like, kind of like, looked like she had slept in it. You know, to be honest with you, she had jeans that were torn at the knees, uh, like kind of sloppy looking, you know? And I thought to myself, I understand that, you know, you, you don't want to get rid of somebody who maybe is a good employee. But if you have somebody, and I'm referring to your time, Barry, as a manager, uh, if you have someone that comes to work that is dressed what you consider to be not appropriate, given the staffing issues that this country is facing in the restaurant industry, how do you handle that situation? So it's a different world. That's And the key to that is that. Do I send somebody home? What I would do if we're in this environment, then I would tell you what I would have done 20 years ago. And then I'll give you a story, which God, I still feel horrible about because I get ready for story time with Uncle Barry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I was I was a manager in all these situations. So currently with the staffing issues, if how many seats in the restaurant, Jeff? Uh, Let's just say 50 or less. And this person was essentially the food runner, the person running the food. Yes. Gotcha. I would, I would see if I could go without this person for the night, meaning I would try to get somebody else, plug somebody else into that position. If not, 
I might have done it myself as a manager. My last case scenario would be to let the person continue to work even though they're not wearing what's essentially the uniform. And every corporate restaurant has a uniform. So I can guarantee ripped jeans and whatever else this person's sandals or flip-flops, whatever the fuck it was, none of that is a, a uniform. 20 years ago, I would have documented it. I would have sent them home and told them when they buy their new outfit to come back and they're, they're scheduled tomorrow, which means you have to have it by tomorrow. We had more leverage back in those, those days. So I worked at a restaurant 1994 in New York City called Mulholland Drive Cafe. And my general manager at that time was a very strict and a, a bit of a dick, a huge dick, as a matter of fact. And, uh, Everybody had to go through an inspection, like all the servers lined up at the beginning of every shift, and we had to look. We had to make sure that they were clean. Their shirts were pressed with starch. You could see the creases. You know, they're, they've got their apron. They've got a wine opener. They have 10 pens on them. Whatever they were required to have, they had to have, and if they didn't, they either got written up, sent home, or both. So we had a guy and he was a barback and he was known as Rob the Barback and Rob was he had a heart of gold but he was slow. And he had been hired, he would do anything that you wanted, he just wanted the opportunity to be able to work and he was he was a great kid and, and there were times when he would tell me about his childhood growing up and you could clearly see that he had a lot of issues as a kid with a stepfather and I felt for him. So he shows up to work one day, Jeff, and he had shaven in, I'll say, three days. And I said, I looked at him, I said, Rob, I said, you got to shave. I said, I, I can't put you out on the floor if you don't shave. I said, one of the conditions is that men, they're allowed to have facial hair, but at the same time, you must either, either you're going to grow something in your off time, but when you're on the floor, you can't come in with three or four days of stubble. I said, you know, do you need a razor? Do you have one with you or do you need one? He said, I don't have a razor. I said, well, why don't we do this? I actually have extra razors, which we kept. So that way nobody could say, I don't have a razor. I got your razor. We had extra razors downstairs and shaving cream. So I give him a razor and I give him the shaving cream. And 20 minutes later, he comes out of the bathroom into the restaurant. And I would, you would swear to God, he, he just got shot in the face 50 times. So I go over to him and, and I'm looking at his face and these aren't just little nicks. These are huge gouges from coming from the razor blade. So when I had asked Rob about the shaving, it did not come out in conversation that Rob usually does shave every day with an electric razor. It was his first time using a straight, a straight razor, a disposable bick. And so the cuts on his face. I got to tell you, I I still may not have recovered now some 28 years later. So I sent Rob home. I apologized profusely because he's a sweet kid. I sent him home. I told him, let his face, let your face heal a couple of days. We'll get you back on the floor. And then I actually called his mother to apologize. And she appreciated that. And they held no grudges towards me or anything like, you know, I'm doing my job. But at the same time, given more thought, I, I probably should have said, are you okay with a razor or do you need an electric? And I just didn't go that route. So I felt bad. End result, there's an expectation, Jeff. You may have just used 
being in a restaurant and what I would have done. You worked at the courthouse for almost 35 years. If somebody showed up one day in shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt, would there have been a conversation had? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exactly. So, end result, every job is going to have set standards when it comes to dress in a uniform, right? And it, it, I will just, I will just say, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Back in the day where I was capable of doing this, uh, let's just say my hair was somewhat longer. Uh, I had seen other people do this and I came to work, believe it or not, Barry Rose, wearing a ponytail. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, at which point my manager, uh, uh, shout out to my boy, Dean Rusi, uh, pulls me into the office and he was like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, that was the conversation, essentially, like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so uh, that was the last time I came to work in a ponytail at the courthouse. Yeah, but look, it's the same. For everybody listening, if you're working in fast food, even McDonald's has standards. Whether those standards are upheld by management, that I don't know, but I can tell you they're supposed to be. Same way in in any business that anybody's running, there is a, a set standard of dress and conduct. It's just so, you know, restaurants tend to get away with it. And part of it is, and I don't know this for a fact because I wasn't there, but a lot of times in restaurants, the servers and maybe the food runner, in this case, the food runner, knew that they weren't going to send her home. They're short staffed to begin with. They're already running less three bodies. They're not going to send her home or him home. And they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go to work this this way and get away with it. At some point, this is all going down, though. All right, Barry, good food talk. Now let's go to our match of the week. Barry, time for our match of the week, and we're going back to the rings of New Japan. Oh, Barry, it's a time that I really was into New Japan. We are talking late summer, early fall of 1987 uh, from Kyoto, Japan. It is Owen Hart and Mark Rollerball Rocco taking on Kichi Yamada before he became Jushin Thunder Liger and Nobuhiko Takada tag match barry rose you got a chance to watch this match tell the folks what you thought of it this is the kind of uh professional wrestling match that's really right up my alley too so i'm really glad that you chose this one uh and that i got a chance to to watch this and i actually went back and i watched it a couple of times quick question for you what was the length of time that new japan was highlighting their junior heavyweights what what when did it start and, and I know it continued for years, but what was it about 85 or so when that no. was starting? No. Uh, I believe it actually started, uh, highlighting the, uh, the junior heavyweights with, uh, going back to Tatsumi Fujinami because, uh, That's true. He, he was yeah. obviously becoming a, a big deal yeah, because he came to the United States, uh, yeah. and, and showed up in, uh, Florida. Uh, and wrestled Mike Graham at the Sportatorium, I think, and Steve Kern also. 1980 or 81, and Kern actually beat him for the title. Or what they were calling it a different title, but so maybe let me rephrase that. When did they really put the emphasis? Well, that on that was when Satoru Sayama became Tiger Mask, and that right. would have been okay. very early in '82 or late in '81. Uh, so that no, I will give credit where it's due. New Japan was always a promotion that would feature the guys that were uh, the young guys that were maybe a little bit smaller than uh the bigger heavyweights and gave them a chance middle of the card to shine yeah and they and they did right they really oh no there's no question about that yeah they really did this is a this is a tremendous match what i like about this match it's uh and i remember there was a wrestler years ago ricky hunter the gladiator the late ricky hunter i interviewed him it would have been 2004 and uh 
he gave me an education which went on for about 25 minutes on wrestling heels. And he basically said, he goes, the best heel is a wrestling heel. And he said, I was a wrestling heel when I came in. And that's what kind of this match is in a sense, because you've got your baby faces, which are Takata and Yamada. You've got your heels, which are Owen Hart and Rollerball Rocco. But at the same time, they're not full out heels in the sense they're wrestling heels. It's, you know, yes, there's punching and kicking, but there's so much wrestling that's taking place here. The pop that Takata gets at this stage of his career, that's absolutely huge. That when he tags in, it's when Yamada tags in Takata, the place loses their shit, and then a Takata chant starts. And it's just, you know, it's just to give you an idea of exactly how popular and exactly how big this guy was. Uh, he absolutely was. Always interesting seeing Yamada without the mask. He's the same Liger. You know, he's got these built up. He's got the body. This is when, uh, you know, his upper body was exposed, but he's fast as could be. He looks great doing a lot of his signature maneuvers. Just always odd for me to be able to see him without a max, uh, a mask. The suplexes. That is part of the beauty of this match is that you've got guys. Each one of the, these guys is a great professional wrestler. So you've, you're, you've got all kinds of suplexes and we're not talking the, as much as I love the killer Carl Cox brain buster where you might hold the guy up for like 30 seconds. This is like the suplexes where if you blink, it's already over because these guys are just whipping each other around. Rollerball Rocco, we've talked about him. What a, what a, just a gift this guy was to professional wrestling. And I, I always felt booked correctly. And that's probably a huge caveat right there. Booked correctly in this, in the States, he could have, he could have been something. It's, you know, it's it, understanding how he could have been booked. I don't know where he shouldn't have been in the Federation. Uh, I don't even think in a large scale promotion, but I think Rollerball Rocco could have had a great career over in the States if he wanted it. Uh, the ending's a lot of fun too. And it's, you know, you've got Hart and Yamada battling outside the ring and, and that, that's such a great pairing between two guys right there because Hart and, uh, Yamada, Almost the same height, similar builds, similar wrestling styles, and two guys that could really go. This wasn't; these aren't two guys that were going to sit in a uh, Johnny Valentine armbar for twenty minutes. You know, these are two guys that just have that energy. They are going to go perfectly match with each other inside the ring. It's Rocco and Takata. Takata does get the uh, the roll up over Rocco, but I got to say, these are the kinds of wrestling matches I love, Jeff. So, a couple things. First of all, if I was to say to you, Barry Rose, that of the four gentlemen in the ring, three of these guys, and I know Barry Rose is not a Hall of Fame fan, but the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, three of the four guys in the ring were Hall of Famers. Who's the one guy that's not a Hall of Famer, do you think? And This is Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? The Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, yes. So what you just said should be the end all be all. All four of these guys are. If there's an oh, error, all four absolutely, belong. absolutely. Yeah. So there's an error here somewhere that somebody has fucked up. I'm gonna say it's. I'm, I don't know. That's. I mean, it's a coin flip. I'll say it is. It's Takata, but I don't know who. It is Owen Hart. It's is not, not in the Hall of Fame, which is just amazing to me because I actually reached out to the Melts and I said, uh, "All four of these guys Hall of Famers in this match," and he goes, "Owen is not." 
which I just I find unbelievable. But somehow Owen Hart is not an Observer Hall of Famer. But the reason I like this match uh, as a very first of all, match goes about 15 and a half minutes. So it's not anything long and drawn out. There's no uh, sitting, as Barry said, in the Johnny Valentine uh, armbar or headlock. Uh, and I will say I'm not shitting on the Johnny Valentine uh, experience because there are people that are big fans of it. Johnny Valentine was a great, you know, but it was a it was a style that he he taught the audience essentially, and uh, that is not uh, something that uh, let's just say that perhaps today's audience would be as big a fan of. Today's audience can watch this match uh, and really appreciate what they're seeing because for the entire fifteen and a half minutes, I don't think there is one spot where someone is sitting for longer than say ten seconds in a hold. Uh, there's lots of uh, to and fro, excellent use of the words to and fro, Barry. Yes, yes. Uh, and I love the fact, and I think this is one of the reasons why you like the match, Barry, is there are four contrasting styles. You have the Calgary style of Owen Hart. You have the European slash British style of Mark Rocco. You have Kichi Yamada doing the uh, New Japan you know, junior or light heavyweight style with lots of flying stuff. And then you have Takata, who on his boots has the uh, UWF logo and, of course, was a former member of the Universal Wrestling Federation in Japan, which was known for its quote-unquote shoot style. So one of the things that you will see as you watch this match, I've told the story before about uh, the uh, the match I saw between uh, Takata and Osamu Kido versus the Von Erichs in a spot show when I visited Japan back in 1987, where uh, I believe it was Kevin that said something the effect of shoot your shit motherfucker to Takata, at which point Takata hit him with about five kicks in the space of two seconds. You see that spot in this match because Takata, I don't know if it was Owen or, or Rocco that he hits with the kicks, but did you notice that, Barry, how quick yeah. he released those kicks? It was yeah. absolutely amazing. And uh, UWF wasn't just a kicking uh, place. Uh, also, some of the suplexes that you see, uh, oh, my God, they're so quick and done so well. The funny thing is, is I thought the worst part of this match was, and I don't know if you caught this, Barry, there was a sequence where Takata went to arm drag Rocco. And oh, yeah, yeah. Something happened, and they messed up the spot. And then they went back and tried it again. Uh, so uh, it, it's interesting. Also, Rocco, just for those that don't know, was the original Black Tiger uh, Eddie Guerrero, I want to say 94, 95, took over the role of the Black Tiger in New Japan. But Mark Rocco was the original Black Tiger that fought Satoru Sayama uh, in the early part of the 1980s. Uh, Takata, uh, I mentioned, you know, all the different suplexes. There is a belly to belly that he hits on Owen that literally is one of those jump, you know, jump out of your chair spots. So the match ends up, as I said, goes up. Uh, 15 and a half minutes, it ends up with uh, Takata rolling up Rocco. After, by the way, speaking of his kicks, he kind of blew a, a spinning back kick, but they went to the finish anyway. I think one of the things that made this match uh, good, uh, there were a couple of uh, spots that they missed, but is Yamada and Owen had worked together in uh, in Calgary because Yamada, part of the reason Kichi Yamada was so good was he spent time in Europe, he spent time in Mexico, and he spent time in Calgary. And when he was in Calgary, I believe he wrestled as Fuji Yamada. And so obviously he and Owen would have worked together uh, either as a tag or as opponents in Calgary. So there was a certain amount of experience working together, and it really showed uh, Rocco being such a, a vet and such a pro, uh, really could work with anybody uh, in that British style. And Takata at this point in time, 
1987, fall of 1987, may have been the best guy in the world. That's just my own opinion. He was fantastic. Uh, he was a guy that, uh, you know, you always talk about, uh, what ifs and, you know, uh, Antonio Inoki held on to the top spot in New Japan for so long, uh, well past his prime, because, of course, the uh, original chain of command would have been that uh, it would have gone from Inoki to Fujinami. And then there were talks that Maeda would have been the next guy to get the spot, maybe Choshu. But I could have definitely seen a timeline where somebody like Takata, who's a good-looking guy with a lot of technical backgrounds, would have become that guy in New Japan. He did become that guy in UWFI, uh, I believe. But I think Takata was also exposed as a guy who, while he wrestled that UWF style, was not a guy that could go over and wrestle an actual shoot uh, fights and uh, emerge victorious. But, yeah, Barry, this was a really, really good match. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, you know, and it was an exciting match and a fast paced match. And I, I love, again, I, I get back to the fact, I love the fact that it's an actual wrestling match and it's not an all out brawl. Yeah. And we will post a link to this match in our Facebook group, Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, so that you can check it out yourself. I hope you will do so. Four contrasting styles, three guys that are in the Hall of Fame and one that absolutely should be. Hey, Bear, always a good time to be joined by official friend of the show, a brother shipper. Our old friend Kevin Kelly is joining us. Kevin, welcome to Breaking Cape Able Batter and Barry, my man. Oh, man, it is so good to be with you out of the funk, the sickness that I have been in over the past two weeks. Uh, it is glorious to be able to hear and to be able to speak. And Yes, we'll be- break kayfabe on the fact that Kevin was supposed to be with us. On last week's show, Uh-oh. there may have been a uh, kerfluffle in Kevin's life. Oh, God. It was awful. Yeah. I haven't been this sick. I haven't been that sick in a long, long time. But I'm glad I'm feeling better. And now we've got uh, smooth sailing ahead on into the new year and beyond. So, That's and what speaking, I always say, too. Yeah. Do, Jeff, do you agree, though? It's that it, Kevin's got the right attitude. When you get really sick, you're like, well, at least I've knocked this shit out of the way, right? Now I can. Well, that's what I did the other day when I was really sick. I knocked shit out. uh, See? uh, A little metaphor there. So, uh, Kevin joining us, Barra, because as we have been discussing before we began recording, Kevin will be appearing, as Lou called it, the historic Hamburg Fieldhouse in Hamburg, PA. On January 7th, and I know the brothership will be out in force, uh, including our own very Barry Rose. You will be appearing there. Is that true? A hundred percent. I, uh, once I found out taking place and I will let Kevin give all the details, but January the 7th, if you're anywhere near Hamburg and it's really, it's just a, a, a short drive from Philadelphia. You're coming from Lancaster, Hershey, wherever. It's not really too far. So I know I'm going to get out there because Jeff, what do we do? We support the people that come on our podcast, don't we? Exactly. And Kevin's going to tell the good folks about AXW, which stands for American Excellence Wrestling. Kevin, I'm throwing you the ball, my man. Thank Tell you. Us all about your new promotion. So this basically is a a rebrand of an existing promotion. I went there in April of last year, and Kathy Carino and I were, were booked to do a seminar for some of the young up-and-coming wrestlers in the area. And I walked into the Hamburg Fieldhouse and I was like, my God, what a majestic old building. This place is great. And I stuck around for the show that night and said, wow, what a potential this promotion has. 
And so I found out who the partners were and I invited them all out to lunch the next week. And I said, I've been looking for an opportunity like this. I would like to help you make lots of money because I know we can do it here. And thankfully they were open to, uh, hearing my ideas. Again, three nice guys. They, they mean well. They just didn't have the experience and, uh, in sales, marketing, wrestling promotions, et cetera. So now I've come on board and streamlined some processes and fix some things and changing the culture kind of locally. Uh, and so January 7th is the first, uh, official show with me as, you know, one of the partners. And kind of what my vision is all, you know, collectively working together with these guys about what the shows will look like going forward. So we've changed some of the layout and changed a little bit of the flow of the building and changed some of the roster. Uh, so we're very excited about it. Um, you know, it's a good, there's a decent core of young wrestlers in the area, but it's a state of 12 million people. And over the last 20 years, they haven't really turned out a lot of like D1 athletes, shall we say, in in wrestling. Um, but we have to take what is there and make, uh, get them experience with, with experienced guys and teach them how to work and teach them what to do. And it's a very simple show, guys, a very simple concept. We want bad guys to do bad things. And when that happens, we want the fans to make this sound. Boo. And when the good guys do good things, we want to make people to make this sound. Hooray. And that's pretty much it. Um, it's going to be a, a, you know, two hours, 15 minutes, two hours, 30 tops show. Uh, we're going to, you know, go quick and have fun and, and have some, uh, great vendors that'll be there. Uh, so it's going to be like just a, a real fun family experience. Um, and I just want people to go, oh, that was just like the wrestling I used to go to when I was a kid. Or for kids to go, wow, that was fun. I've never been to anything like that before. It's, it'll be different than WWE, but everybody's trying to be WWE, and they need to stop doing that because only the, the WWE can be the WWE. They have the well, lights, the sound, the production. As Sweet, as Sweet Lou uh, did uh, ask and uh, pointed out, since it will be at the historic Hamburg Fieldhouse, will there be a title change? Uh, will the Strongbow brothers be dropping the straps? Anything along those lines? Yes, the executioners will be, uh, in, <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. In tag team action. Uh, and the Yukon Lumberjacks too, you know. The yeah. Lumberjacks will be there, uh, Gurria and, uh, Dean Ho will be going back. <laughs> but no, you look back, look at the history, look at the history of the Hamburg Fieldhouse. In fact, one of the coolest things, one of the things that drew my eye first, the original lighting rig that Vince Sr. paid, paid for to have hung is still in existence, still used, still used at the Hamburg Fieldhouse. Wow. So, uh, you know, Jimmy Snuka, Got hit with the coconut by Roddy Piper over in the corner. That's where the Piper's pit was set up. So many historic, the chairs are still the same chairs that wow. Bruno got whacked by Larry Zabisco. You know, I, that's somebody's well, going to somebody, be checking those chairs for Bruno's blood. You can that's guarantee right. that. Yeah. I, I'm Jeff. I'm walking into the building on January 7th, wanting to buy every damn chair in the place and I'll be selling them, ladies and gentlemen, on eBay. Um, yeah, the captain, Nick so. Massey, will have you holding. <laughs> exactly. They are all for sale because one of the <laughs> things that we want to do, and we've, we've got to get there. We're going to make it. The model is, guys, minor league baseball. Okay. Minor league baseball all over the country. 
and they have anywhere between 50 and 80 dates a year. Somehow they're able to put a couple thousand people in the park every night and they do it. Why? They're not, are they selling baseball? Kind of, sort of. But when you go to a game, do you really know who the players are on the team? No, not really. You know who the team is affiliated with if it's a, you know, connected to a major league club. But by and large, people will go once or twice a year to minor league baseball just for the fun, for the experience, to have a hot dog, to maybe see some fireworks, to have a good time. And then they won't go back until the next year. That's what and we find. And I will say, as a fan of minor league baseball, that there are a lot of times that going to a minor league game is a better baseball and fun experience than going to a major league park because absolutely you're closer to the ball players. You had, you can have social interaction with the ball players. Uh, you know, if you are one of those people that likes to boo and cheer, uh, and get involved and be the, uh, the, the obnoxious fan, like <clears throat> maybe I like to do, uh, you know, you have that ability to interact with the players, with the umps and that kind of thing, as Kevin pointed out. So I'm sure there will be officials there that when they make a questionable decision, will have the fans booing them uh, for their bad call. And when they make the right call, uh, much like in uh, major and minor league baseball, they will be getting the plaudits, the, the occasional cheers of the fans. So, uh, Kevin, let me just ask you, is there any particular names that thought that you, you said there were a lot of younger, uh, people trying to get into the business, any names out there that'll be appearing that maybe the fans would recognize? The only ones that on January 7th that people will recognize might be, uh, John Schuyler, who just recently re-signed with Impact Wrestling. Uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Derek Neal, who has been wrestling in obscurity for like 12 years, 15 years. No, honestly, there is a, 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 a group of homegrown athletes that will be competing and we're bringing in some outside veterans, some diamonds in the rough, as I like to call them. Some guys that are, that know what to do in the ring, that know what their job is, that are looking for and and those type of guys are not really a commodity when it comes to the bigger companies now. AEW wants the flashy, splashy wrestler, and WWE wants the athlete from another sport who has a tremendous social media following. We're hiring wrestlers who wrestle and who who know how to get heat or know how to sell or know what their job is. So that's what we're going to do. Um and we're gonna put forth, you know, what we think will be the best uh I think it's we've got a bunch of matches, but it'll it'll go pretty quickly. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be a full night's worth of entertainment uh, with a lot of people that you're going to get to know over time that will become much more well known because we're going to get them some notoriety for what we're going to be doing in, in Hamburg. Yeah, and again, we want to encourage uh, all of our listeners. I know we've got several that are out, you know, literally not too far from Hamburg, uh, whether it's Reading and, and all these areas. Kevin, so a, a gigantic brothership contingent coming on January 7th, if we can make it happen. Looking at this and looking at your business plan, what's the long the long-term goal? The long-term goal is to put 800 to a thousand paid fans in the Hamburg Fieldhouse every month that we run there. We have eight dates booked this year and eight dates booked next year. Uh, the building is unavailable in the summer in July and August. It's not air conditioned. Um, and there are two other months during the year that, that they already have events booked out. We're also going to be 
hopefully getting some dates at uh, Pennsylvania fairs. We're attending the, pa- the PA Fair Association. Our product goes perfectly with, uh, you know, uh, the Midway and, and that type of thing. So we're hopeful to get some bought shows that way. Um, we're really looking to have at least one, possibly two shows per month uh, and a profitable company by the end of 2024. We expect to turn a profit. We're going to lose money this year uh, or break even this year. We expect to turn a profit uh, in, in 24 into 25 and be a sustainable business going forward with, uh, fundraising shows and things like that. Actually, what, what Ron Fuller did in, in Knoxville was kind of the impetus for what I thought, you know, by listening to his story and thinking like, okay, well, we just got to find the right town. Well, Hamburg is the right town and the Hamburg field house is the right building. And there's a lot of, you know, there's no cons to running there. It's all pros and everything that we want to do is available to us. There's there's other buildings that are close by that we could add to our schedule. We're, we're looking at a couple of different venues. We're partnering with uh, Ricardo Rodriguez. I'll give you some breaking news. So he's running three legacies wrestling, which is a very small school and promotion in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And he has a date set up for August at the uh, Barnstormers uh, minor league field. And we're going to be co-promoting that with him so we'll be (laughs) we'll be wrestling we'll have a wrestling event under the stars in lancaster over the summer so yeah just fun community it's going to be a lot of fundraiser shows it's going to be a lot of we're partnering with the, the keystone military families which is a food bank for military families when national guard troops get shipped overseas forever how long that's going to be they give up their their main source of income and a lot of times the family is left struggling to try to put food on the table for the, you know, for the kids. So Keystone military families gets a lot of food donations and in turn donates that food uh, to military families. So we're helping them do their good work. That's very cool. So uh, your first show, you're taping it, uh, you know, uh, nope. for a, Oh, you're not. Is there going to be any taping at all for any sort of no. television availability or no? No, not at this time. It costs too much money. Okay, no, that's fair. Yeah, nobody watches it anyway. So, you know, I priced out, could we stream with Fight TV? Yeah, sure. I know tons of production guys. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We could we could crew it. We could do all this and that. It was going to be about $5,000. And I was like, we don't have $5,000. We can't sell sponsorships that quickly. So a lot of what we're going to be doing on January 7th is capturing – uh, the sights and sounds of the show, you know, and putting together media packages to be able to uh, bring sponsors in. Like, for example, let's say Breaking K Fabe with Bowdrin and Barry wanted to be this, the title sponsor for an event. You could do that if you wanted to sponsor the if you wanted naming rights for the arena, you could have it. The Breaking K Fabe with Bowdrin and Barry Arena at the historic Hamburg Fieldhouse. Well, that's, that's available. That sounds that sounds pretty good to me, Jeff. I don't know. What do you think? I have no doubt that Brian Last is writing that check right now. That there you know, he's, he's always willing to to offer the financial support to wrestling. <laughs> if there is, basically, if, if if there is uh, something that is available, it is what I always term as real estate, and it can be sold. So if people want to sponsor matches, if they want to sponsor uh, signage, uh, if they want to sponsor whatever, if they want to pay for uh, any particular event in this, uh, they can have it. Uh, 
They could be the sponsor of matches. They could be the title sponsor for the shows. Um, and all the way up to naming rights for the arena. We're selling it all. And we have it all available to us. Plus, we're also going to be putting together, uh, Hamburg Fieldhouse merchandise, which we have. Now, it's, here's a cool connection. So I told you Vince Sr. had the lighting rig, right? Uh, and that's still hanging up above. The fire company, the Hamburg Fire Company, is in charge of the field house. They have always been in charge of the field house. The man who we work with, uh, who's our liaison with the fire company, his father did that job before him, and he worked with Vince Sr. And I said, oh, are there any cool stories? And he goes, yeah, my dad was not a fan. Of wrestling? No, of Vince Sr. Why? Oh, because he wanted everything for free. <laughs> I said, well, he's a wrestling promoter. Of course he did. <laughs> yeah. But, figure, you know, right? there's just – so we're going to be selling historic Hamburg Fieldhouse merchandise because we want to help them with some of their capital improvements. I know they have to – they want to switch to uh, an LED kind of light, uh, not the ring lights, but the – the actual lighting in the building, they want to switch to a more energy efficient lighting. Okay. How much is that? It's $2,000. Great. We want to write you a check for that. So we're going to be doing all sorts of things for capital improvements. I said, how much would it cost for air conditioning? Oh, you wouldn't want to know. No, I do want to know, Scott. A uh, quarter of a million dollars. Okay. Well, we're not going to write the check today, but maybe one day we could. You know, I mean, this is, this, this building is part of, uh, it's kind of like, you know, it should be registered as a, you know, historic monument, I feel. And, and I'm not sure what the qualifications of that would be, but it has all the earmarks of that. It goes all the way back to the 1950s and it's hosted all sorts of famous events. And it's been the center of Hamburg, Pennsylvania, and it's right downtown, right off of fourth street. It has been there, uh, you know, for decades upon decades, everybody knows where it is. And we just see it as like, this amazing opportunity to bring back wrestling uh, in a community setting where we can entertain moms, dads, and kids the way their parents and grandparents were entertained for year after year after year. And that's, that's really it. It's a very simple strategy. Um, our core business is wrestling, but what we're hoping to do is to just bring the community together and community far and what community is all over, right? Because it's, it's right off of 78. It's, it's, Five minutes from the giant Cabela's superstore. So there's, it's a, it's a draw and it'll, it'll draw fans from all over PA and Maryland and Virginia, West Virginia. I have no doubt in my mind it's going to be successful. Well, I'm going to be there for sure. And actually, I know where that Cabela's is, and I may actually leave early that day and show up, uh, spend a couple hours at Cabela's because that is a hell of a store. Oh, this past summer, and I want to say it was July or August. I don't know the exact date. There was a fan fest at, yes. in Hamburg. Were you part of that as well? I was not because I was over in Japan for the G1, but we moved it. it. We moved it to September because it's just too damn hot in that building. Now, September is not much better, but it's not like last year. It was 99 degrees the day they ran the yes. legends yes. and it was a well attended event. So we're going to move it to September this year and. Uh, hopefully it will be because I was there in September and it was warm, but it was, it was at least breathable. You could at least breathe in the building. Uh, July was a, uh, a, a, a real rotten experience for the fans, but I, yeah, I was scheduled to be at that fan fest. Uh, and I was watching that was the week that we were over 90 every day. 
And and when you said it, they were saying it was going to be close to 100 degrees in temperature in the building, like 120. And I said, yeah, maybe I'll pass on that. But that's a very smart business plan. Avoid the summers, obviously, if you don't have AC. Run in the winters. So talking now, you you know, you kind of gave us what your the game plan is, maybe over the next year, maybe next couple of years. Do you think at some point that you may incorporate legends? maybe people that have worked that building previously 30, 40 years ago, or are you going to stay all to young talent? No, we're going to bring in uh, legends. I know that we've, we've had like, for example, our pal, my good friend, Ray Lloyd Glacier, perfect to come to something like that, even though he was not at the Hamburg field house, but Gangrel, who is, you know, somebody who's still active on the scene, he would be perfect for there. Or Scotty Too Hottie, you know, and then have, uh, I know Jerry Lawler has been very popular there. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter would love to come and do an appearance. So yeah, uh, while those guys are not really active anymore wrestling, we certainly will have them in attendance, uh, all throughout the year and then bring everybody together in September for the huge let. In fact, we're going to make that announcement officially. Uh, I think on January the 1st, just to get, cause people, fans are already asking about, are you going to do the legends again? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, and we're going to incorporate them into the show. So we're going to try to have as much, you know, as much involvement as we can with that generation, because, you know, if a, if a Bill Edie comes, oh my gosh, what do you want to do? Do you want to be the mass superstar? Do you want to be demolition? You know, do you want to be one of the Mongols? You probably wrestled here as a Mongol. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but that's what we're that's what we want to do. We want to give everybody every generation of fandom uh, from, you know, from six to one hundred and six, the opportunity to come out and watch the wrestling that they love. So I know that uh, after talking to uh, our friend Eric Cholminski, Barry, that he mentioned that he had just seen Kevin over the weekend uh, at a uh, an event that Kevin was at. So I know that uh, Eric said he's going to be in Hamburg. Yes. Along with uh, some other. Uh, I, I'm going to put it out there. Rob Ferry goes to literally every wrestling related event in the tri-state area. So I'm sure Eric and uh, Rob Ferry are going to be down there along with Barry. I would be remiss, however, Kevin, if I did not ask, uh, because you are so closely affiliated with New Japan, uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Will you be in Japan yes. for Wrestle Kingdom? I will. I get home on the 6th, and then I shoot over to Hamburg on the 7th. So, yeah. Funny how that works out. So It just happened to work out. <laughs> Let me ask you, uh, as a, a fan of New Japan, would you say for this particular event, is the drawing card uh, Okada J. White, or is it Kenny Omega coming back to face Will Ospreay? Which of those two matches do you think is the real selling point for the fans? For the fans... In Japan, it's Okada. For the international fans, it's Jay White, Kenny, and Osprey, and Okada, in that order. Um, there's, I think because of COVID and the lockdowns and everything like that, that there has gotten to be more of a disconnect between Japanese wrestling fans and the foreign wrestlers. They're not... They're not as in tune with it, I think, as they have been. However, we've been airing AEW on New Japan World. So fans are very familiar with Kenny Omega and what he's been doing over the last few years. Um, they really enjoy Will Ospreay. 
they're into Jay White, but it's it's difficult to gauge because the fans aren't making noise at the majority of events, and it's uh, so it's difficult to say. But I do know that uh, Okada, with the you know the fiftieth year of New Japan Pro Wrestling coming to an end, and Antonio Inoki's passing, I think that for the for the Japanese fans, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why there will be a significant crowd uh, upwards of 30,000 is what I'm hearing. So that would be very good. Isn't this going to be the first event where they are allowed to, uh, I mean, as crazy as it seems, uh, they're going to be allowed to cheer and, and be open in their displays uh, where it's been sort of restricted by the, uh, the officials in Japan. Isn't this the first event where they're allowed to be active in their participation? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be noise. I'm not quite sure what, what has been decided yet. How, how is it socially distant seating? Because I know that like, if you have socially distant seating that you can, you can have cheering, but there have been some, you know, well, if it was an open air stadium, then it would be no problem, but it's not because it's a dome. But I do believe that there is going to be cheering on January the 4th and uh, I do know that there is anticipation of upwards of 30,000 being in attendance. So they figured it out some way. And I'm excited to hear what that crowd sounds like because they've, there've been limited events, uh, since what, September where fans have gotten to cheer. And it's almost like they've been saving up their voices for two and a half years now and they just, scream and cheer like never before maybe it's just because i haven't heard it in so long but they're going crazy for everything when they've had the opportunity to use their voices so i have a feeling it's going to sound amazing in the dome on january 4th so one of the things that uh i mentioned i was talking to eric chulminski uh and of course he's such a big follower of japanese wrestling so i said do you have anything i can ask eric that uh or i can ask kevin i'm sorry uh that maybe you didn't discuss with Kevin at the event, and he wanted me to ask you about a rumor that he had heard, whether there was any validity to it. Apparently, uh, Toshiaki Kawada uh, is very active with uh, Taichi. He yes. wanted to know, is there any truth to the rumor that Kawada was being considered? Uh, of course, Kawada always affiliated with All Japan Wrestling. He's never really been affiliated with New Japan. Any truth to the rumor that Kawada was being considered to make an appearance on a New Japan show, perhaps in uh, an exhibition match against Taichi or in Taichi's corner for a match? Have you heard anything along those lines? I haven't heard anything further. That So Kawada uh, was did commentary. For uh, Taichi and Sonata in the first round of the uh, World TV Title Tournament, and it was it was great to you know put the face with the legend, right? Because we always tell the stories of Kawada being the very harsh taskmaster, uh, you know, raising Taichi in the in the business. And now, if you weren't a an All Japan fan, you never got to really see him in New Japan. And Taichi at the end of the match that Sonata won and it was a thriller basically said, get in shape because I want to wrestle you. And Kawada said, okay, I will do it. I will get in shape and, and we will wrestle. So, uh, with the final, you know, and you would think, okay, maybe they might do it at like a Takataichi mania show, but today they just had the last one. 
So they're not going to do them anymore. So if it's going to happen, it would make sense that it might happen at a proper New Japan Pro Wrestling show. But I don't know any more than that right now. That's that's the absolute latest that I know, and I'm I have not heard whether that was just talk or whether that could actually be something uh reality. But challenge was issued, challenge was accepted. So we'll see. All right. Well, listen, once again, Kevin, we appreciate your time as always. Always good to speak with you. Want to remind yes. all the listeners, January 7th in Hamburg, PA, Lord Barron's is going to be there. By God, Kevin <laughs> Kelly's going to be there. I'm putting it out there. I want Cholminski there. I want Rob Ferry there. I want Jamie Ward. You don't have to go to work that day. I want you in Hamburg, PA that day. Barry, anybody else in the brothership in PA that we need to call out? Well, and you are right. Uh, and Eric, Chol- Eric Um Cholminski getting, I think, the third mention on this podcast. and doesn't even listen that often. But Eric. What? Oh, and Eric doesn't drive. <laughs> ironically. So when you said Rob Ferry is going to be driving, you were actually right with that. But uh yeah, we've got that contingent and I'm going to call them out right now. Jason D'Agostino. You've got Amal Pitts. Max Spiker is down that way. So it would be nice, you know, if we the Philly guys can all caravan together, maybe those guys. But again, we're able to get great guests like Kevin Kelly to come join us because Jeff, we support them when they do these things. I know I'm going to be there. I'm actually going to bring the lovely Linda, who's very excited about coming to a live wrestling Woo-hoo. show. Exactly. But we'll be there. Jeff, any chance you could make it up from Georgia to come up for this big show? Hold on. I'm checking my calendar. No. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I will say, as Kevin was talking about future events, Barry, I'm going to be talking to the lovely sainted Mrs. Bowdern tonight. Perhaps... Uh-oh. But a future appearance. So, Kevin, let me just ask you, if the brothership does, in fact, come out in force, can they count on a photo op with Kevin Kelly that can be posted in our Facebook group, Breaking K-Fable Powder and Barry? Oh, hell yeah, absolutely. What do they want? They want to they want to jump into the ring. We can take a picture. It's my show. I don't give a crap. We can do whatever right. we want. <laughs> but listen, for the brothershippers or for anybody else, if you want to get tickets, uh, you can go to you can get them at the door. But you can save a couple of bucks if you buy them in advance at AXWTix with an X, AXWTix.com. And there's four-pack specials. There's a couple of different things that we've got going on. We're going to be involving promo codes. Like, for example, what if we put, you know, promo code Brothership and people could save five bucks uh, on a ticket? I We could put something like that together immediately. But we'll uh, we'll put our heads together. We'll come up with some ideas. And a full schedule of events, you know, we're, just follow us on Facebook, American Excellence Wrestling. Uh, you can follow me on, on Facebook at, uh, you know, I got the Kevin Kelly fan page or on Twitter at Real Kevin Kelly. And we'll get you updated. The full schedule of events is out. And, you know, every date is a Saturday and they're always going to start at seven o'clock. It's pretty simple. Well, Kevin, we will see you at the matches. And I'm hoping, Barry, that if Mac Spiker shows up, we can get Mac to uh, take a bump in the ring. We'll see you at the matches. Barry, I've said it before. I'll say it again. A good booker always knows when to steal a decent idea. So I was listening to a non-Arcadian Vanguard what? podcast recently. Yes. And they have a segment that they call. Are you ready, Barry? Give me a little drum roll. Hold on. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Here's the concept. I'm going to throw quick questions at you, and I want you to give 
concise, relatively brief answers to the questions that I offer. This is not going to be a 10-minute answer to the question by either you or <laughs> Sweet Lou, who's also going to be featured in this segment. We're both guilty of that, yes. So, Barry Rose, are you ready for a little rapid fire? This is going to be interesting because I move a little slower on Mondays when we record. So, But, yeah. Well, I'm a little disappointed already just from the get-go, because usually whenever the word fire is mentioned, Barry Rose always goes, fire! Thank you. So it's rapid fire! First question, Barry Rose. At the time of this recording, we are, of course, getting ready for the Christmas holiday season. Barry Rose, I know you're a big Christmas guy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Excuse me. The biggest. Barry, by the way, also mentioned that he went to Temple the other night. So. <laughs> Temple University, Jeff. <laughs> he may have been yeah. K-Saving. Yeah, I don't know. But Barry Rose, yes. if you could only listen to two Christmas songs for the sure. rest of your life, sure. the rest of them you're throwing out, give me your two favorite Christmas songs. Rocking Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda, uh, Lee. by Brenda Lee and then Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms. Those are the okay. two. That's good ones. Uh, I personally like uh, a little bit of Oh Holy Night. Uh, that's a that's a good one. I don't really have a specific singer, but that's a song that I really like. That really puts me in a non-diehard Christmas spirit, uh, an actual real Christmas spirit, if you will. Uh, I also like uh, I like the King Elvis Presley with a little blue Christmas. Uh, that's my first one. So now Lou, join us because now it's time for the Lou Kippelman yes. portion of this. Lou Kippelman, my baseball go-to guy. Recently in the baseball uh, news, four big free agent signings from the shortstop position. We got Carlos Correa signing with Lou's beloved San Francisco Giants. 13 years, $350 million, Barry Rose. That's Arcadian kind of money. Uh, Trey Turner, 11 years, $300 million with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Xander Bogarts, 11 years, $280 million with the Padres. And... Just yesterday, Dansby Swanson, seven years, $177 million with my Chicago Cubs. So the question for sweet Lou Kippelman, of yeah. those four contracts, and I'm taking into account not just uh, who's going to be a good fit, I'm going to include the value of those contracts. Who's going to regret those signings most? Which one of those four contracts, Lou Kippelman? I'll say the Phillies. Really? And your reasoning How is? Dare you? Well, no, no, no. He's spoken, Barry. You cannot interject. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it was an 11-year deal for Trey Turner. Yes. Okay. And, you know, he comes from the, the Dodgers and then previously the Nats. And so I, I think he's one of the more veteran uh, of the four there. So... You know, that's a, that's a, a lengthy contract. So. so as I pointed out to uh, someone the other day, a contract of that length of Correa's of Xander Bogart's, uh, it put me in mind to, oh, I'm just going to say a few years back, uh, Lou, when uh, Alfonso Soriano signed that 12 year contract with the Cubs. And by the end of those 12 years, it was like, when can we get rid of this guy? So thank you so much for your opinion. It's Lou's opinion. All you Philadelphia fans out there. How you just, dare you? No, no, no. I'm talking yeah. to you, mister. Yeah. And also, by the way, uh, Santa Claus Goes Straight to the Ghetto by James Brown. Oh, and, that's a good one, Lou. And Merry Christmas, Baby. Made popular by James Brown, written by Charles Brown. All right, Jeff. Rapid fire question for you just came to my worst Cubs contract, Soriano or Zambrano? Uh, Soriano, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So 
Third question now for Barry Rose. Oh. Recently in the news, NBA-related news, unfortunately a loss for two that were absolute standouts in the NBA, Paul Silas and Lewis Orr. Paul Silas, of course, legendary figure with the Celtics and so many other teams, also a coach. Uh, Lewis Orr uh, coming out of Syracuse University where he was a legend, played six years with the Knicks. Quickly, uh, memories of Paul Silas and Lewis Orr, Barry Rose. So Lewis Orr, solid player, utility guy. The, when he was on the Knicks, the team struggled. You know, it was there was a lot of struggles going on. But he was one of those guys that always seemed to show up. He wasn't the greatest player to ever play, but the effort that Lewis Orr put out there, which I remember, was. Uh, amazing. Paul Silas to me, and I don't have any memories of Paul Silas uh, playing, at least I don't recall it. What I remember is him as a coach and him speaking. The man carried himself with class and dignity, which a lot of people can't say. So uh, rest in peace to both. I, I respect both for different reasons. Paul Silas, I always remember as a guy that was the proverbial um, guy that would come off the bench uh, I, I want to say he was like six, 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 seven, but was a really strong guy underneath the, you know, on the boards, uh, pulling the, you know, ball off the glass, uh, very strong, uh, you know, uh, representative for the Celtics of, I want to say like, uh, before Berg got there, like late in the John Havlicek years, that kind of thing. But, uh, uh, great player and Lewis Orr, very solid, as you said, with the Knicks. Next question, rapid fire, Barry Rose. I'm going to give you two names. Okay. Buddy Colt, say 73 to 75. Unfortunately, the plane crashed into his career. Butch Reed, 82 to let's say 1984. Given those two scenarios, which two guy, which one of those two guys would have made a better NWA world champion? Go. Butch Reed would have made a better, and boy, am I going to get a lot of heat off of that one. Butch Reed would have. Buddy Cole, to me, was a the definition of a true 100% heel that I I just don't think he could have worked babyface. I'm sure he could have, right? He was a bright guy. He could have figured it out. Butch Reed was a guy that we had seen. He had been babyface. He had been a heel. He was also a very smooth wrestler in the ring. And let's be honest, it's 1982. You had never had an African-American. American world champion. Yes, I know Bearcat Wright in Los Angeles for the WWA, which I think covered Los Angeles maybe, and that was it. But you never had an NWA or WWF World Heavyweight Champion. To me, Butch Reed would have been the guy. It would have made a lot of sense. Now, next, allow me a little rapid fire to myself. Uh, hey, Booker, anything special happen over the weekend to your Vikings? <laughs> yes, Max Spiker. This is for your second mention, by the way, of Max Spiker on this week's show, Barry. The Vikings with the largest comeback in the history, the history of the NFL. Now, of course, Mac wants to poo-poo. Oh, it was the Colts. You should have beaten the Colts. No, NFL history. By the way, Mac, next time we go to the Fan Fest, you might want to thank Tom Hale because Tom Hale sending me a note saying, hey, Jeff, why don't you mention that the Vikings said yes. So thank you, Tom Hale, for that reminder and suck on it, Spiker, because the Vikings now hold that particular record. Next, Barry Rose. <clears throat> Back to normal now. So I happen to be reading the 1993 Wrestling Observer Yearbook, which is, uh, I, I got to say, for all the crap that some people give uh, Meltzer, 
he, he provides such great historical context, uh, for a lot of things. Uh, even if people hate him for the, uh, what they, they perceive as his favoritism towards the AEW. Uh, I really like reading Dave's history lessons. So I'm reading up about the death of Kerry Von Erich. Okay. And according to the 1993 yearbook, Barry Rose, this is what I was going to spring on you because I don't know if you've ever heard, I don't All know right. if you ever heard this story. According to what Dave wrote in the obituary of Carrie Von Eric, you know, when Carrie died, okay, and it was a very tragic death, uh, in a lot of ways, a very tragic life, okay. Carrie was essentially broke, okay. And there was a, an individual, uh, I can't remember what his name was, that was going to do a fundraiser who he was, Doing some, uh, some local cards using the guys that were, uh, part of, um, USWA, uh, some of the, I mean, not really huge names, but they were going to do a fundraiser for Carrie's two daughters. Okay. Because he essentially left them nothing because he was broke at the time of his death. And so they were going to do this fundraiser and Fritz was going to make an appearance and Kevin Von Erich was going to make an appearance. So get a load of this, Barry. Kevin Von Erich, according to the story in the yearbook, apparently calls this guy that's doing the fundraiser for Carrie's daughters and asks for a thousand dollars. Wow. At the fundraiser for your two nieces. Wow. Wow. Barry, your thoughts on Kevin Von Erich. <laughs> I, I, I read that and I was just like, really? Uh, and you know, come on. Yeah, and that's, that's not the type of story you want to hear. And, and then, you know, I mean, there's other stories that are like that that I could share out there. I, I heard another story from, uh, the big fan fest that Jody Simon put on on 2017 and he looked for everybody to donate their time, but one person held him up for money and he was livid and put that person on blast afterwards. Uh, and did paid paid it to have them come because they were a draw, but he was held up. That's a shame. The only way I would cut Kevin any slack is he appears to be out of it, in my opinion. Well, I will. I uh, while I do agree with that, as of uh, now in the end of 2022, uh, this story taking place in 1993. Yeah, which he probably wasn't. You know that Carney's going to Carney, right? Isn't that the old saying? But so many of these old timers and, and so many of these guys don't know where the Carney stops and where it begins. And if you're actually asking for a thousand dollars for a fundraiser where the money's going to go to your nieces, I mean, you're just, you're, you're a horrible person. But at the same time, Kevin never struck me as somebody who was overly bright. Uh, based off of interviews and things that I have seen. But I mean, honestly, is there anyone who could try to justify this other than the person that charged a thousand dollars to Jody Simon? Barry, the listeners love a good Florida man or not segment. I think you will agree. Are you ready? They to do. Go, they love the Florida they man. Love, or not, not only the segment. Florida man segment, they love us, Barry. Oh my God. We are, uh, because we're givers, right? We are givers. There are some, uh, I will say that apparently love you almost a little too much. They're a little stalkerish, but I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> I'll tell you uh-huh. when we're done recording. Uh, so our first story, Barry, man arrested for stealing over $1,300 worth of toothbrushes, police off, uh, police officials say. 37 year old man was arrested on Monday after authorities say he stole $1,300 worth of toothbrushes from a Walgreens. Police responded to the Walgreens store around 10.40 a.m. after employees and in-store witnesses said the man, later identified as Tracy Mofield, walked out of the stores with six electric toothbrushes without paying. 
Authorities located the man in a white Lexus. Oh, of course he's got a Lexus and he needs to steal toothbrushes. Wow. <clears throat> Which then sped away. They then located the vehicle again where it stopped. When police confronted Mofield, uh, he admitted to stealing the toothbrushes before throwing them uh, into the river. He was taken to jail and charged with larceny. So, Barry, first of all, what kind of fucking electric toothbrushes are costing you like upwards of 250 bucks? These are some pretty, especially at a Walgreens. This is a that's pretty what fucking, you just said. So when you, pretty, I start pretty pricey yeah, uh, electric toothbrush. I start me. doing the math and you said six toothbrushes and it's like 1300 bucks. How is, I mean, do you, do you use an electric toothbrush or a regular? I in fact do. And how much was yours? Uh, I want to say for the unit itself with two like uh, little attachable brushes. 80 bucks, something like that. Okay, so he must have, it, he not only driving a Lexus, but then looking for the most high-end electric toothbrushes out there. Uh, shit, this one's a bizarre he is no, one. He is no bargain shopper, I can tell you that, Bear. No, and in his getaway car is a, a $50,000 vehicle. So, wow. I'm going to say this one is not Florida only because uh I guess it could be, but it just I don't know. A, a Lexus is a getaway car after you've stolen six elect and what was he gonna do with the six electric toothbrush? Was that gonna go on Amazon? <clears> Apparently dental care is a very high priority to this gentleman. He doesn't go with just your, you know, standard brush up, brush up, brush. Uh, that seemed from yeah, Greece, yeah. Of Family gifts, it's very yeah, bizarre. Of course, yeah. It's the holiday season coming up, you know. It's a tough hold on one second, I gotta flip. It's, uh, yeah, this this actually took place in Florida. Marathon, Florida. Woo! Or as we like to call it, the winter residence of Bob McKeon. There you uh, go. Seemingly in Marathon every other weekend. Next headline. Which would Barry, explain why he doesn't come to a fan fest. Never been to a one. Uh, always yeah. promising, but then something suddenly came up. Oh, you know. There, there's quite a few of those people. So yes. 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 Remember that from the Brady Bunch. I'm sorry. Something suddenly came up. That was like a whole storyline of one of the episodes. Uh, <clears throat> next uh, headline, Barry. All right. Woman allegedly snatched. Hey, you're going to love the wording here. Snatched Snap. a Rolex, <laughs> hit it inside her genitalia. <laughs> a woman found herself, as it gets even better, the writing here. A woman found herself in a sticky situation with oh, pops. New York after, Post. Yeah, these are some high quality writing here. here. <laughs> uh, found herself in a sticky situation with the cops after she allegedly stole a super expensive watch and hid it in her genitals. Police were called uh, to a local hotel on Sunday uh, after a woman claimed he was cuddling 33 year old Sarah Richards. Again, he was cuddling Barry. You know, it's it very romantic. <laughs> and she continually insisted that he take his Rolex off while they laid together. The alleged oh. victim told cops. He put the watch under his pillow, continued to drink wine at her request, but he says when he noticed it missing, she went into a panic and left. He says he followed her all the way down to the lobby where he alerted security before police arrived. According to reports, police couldn't find the Rolex at first, needless to say, but eventually located it in her genitals. All right, I'm going to I'm going to have to have you uh, spread out there. Uh, let me get the gloves here. Uh, you know, that's when you call in the female officers, Barry. Oh, she is now looking at grand larceny charges. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not. So it's a tough one. I listen for a lot of clues. It, this does take place a lot. I shouldn't say this takes, but crimes of a similar nature 
take place. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Try to cover your story up there. Go I ahead. was trying they, to cover. They you they lost take, a Rolex, haven't you? I, I wish. <laughs> like I've ever, I could ever afford a Rolex. But a lot of these crimes of a similar nature take place either on South Beach or uh, the the Seminole Casino. That I've heard. The other city where this takes place is Vegas. And probably Atlantic City to some degree, but wherever Orlando too, wherever there's a good amount of tourism or single male wealthy travelers, this takes place. I I I just for the life of me, I I can't picture a woman putting a watch up her vagina. That that just well, you have I, heard stories, of course, about uh, guys going into uh, the uh, the who's gal, the lockdown, and uh, they have uh, a phone. Placed in said, a certain orifice, and uh, you know, there's yeah. there's a lot of lubing going on there before they do it because you know when they do the search, police always find the phones there. Yeah. I'm so why shouldn't this- a Rolex fix uh, fit into the JJ? Yeah, it's just something about it. I'm going to say this. Uh, this did take place. No, fuck it. This did not take place in Florida. Barry Rose, pretty spot on. This is a tourist hub. Las Vegas, Nevada. There you go. Apparently very common in Vegas, these types of crimes. Yes. So next story, Barry. Man throws Christmas tree at wife after being asked to help with dinner. Barry, did you help the former Mrs. Rose with dinner occasionally? Or did Mrs. Rose help me with dinner? I was the one well, doing the majority uh, yeah, of the cooking. Exactly. So. Who, do, who does the majority of the cooking? You or the lovely Linda? I do. It's uh, really? so yeah. I'm kind of at that though. She's made me a couple of really nice meals. I like to cook. That's a I for lunch today, Jeff. I had a New York strip steak sandwich with bacon and hummus on non bread, which was basically all leftovers. But well, what, I, what, I is, like, what is non bread? Dare I ask? Non bread is when I say non, it's N A A N. It is the flat Indian bread that you would get in an Indian restaurant. Well, wouldn't that be nana bread? Oh, I see what you did there. Thank you. Yeah. So, well, for lunch, I countered that with uh, some lovely saltine crackers with peanut butter on them. You know, it's a, it's a uh, it's a nice saltine cracker with a uh, a peanut based spread. That sounds like a little more fancy. That sounds so, pretty. Anyway, good. getting getting back to our story here, man uh, allegedly threw a Christmas tree at his wife during an argument <clears throat> that was sparked when she asked him to help make dinner. Richard Atchison. Lost his temper in the couple's home Monday evening after his wife uh, asked for help and put a spoon in the sink, accidentally splashing him with water. I hate when that happens, Barry. Uh, Atchison packed his things and went outside to his vehicle before returning home because his wa- because quote <laughs> Barry, you're going to be shocked to hear this. He had been drinking. <laughs> told, he told his wife to leave no. instead. Yeah, wait, wait till you see the booking photo. That's all I'm going to say. When his wife tried to go. Police say Atchison shoved her, picking up a Christmas tree that was in the corner of the room, and threw it at her, striking her. He then allegedly blocked the front doors to prevent her from leaving. Oh, that's not a good look, because then you can get into uh, false imprisonment charges and all that kind of stuff. So, Barry Rose, Florida man or not? Florida, Vegas. This one, this one did take place in Florida, yes. Barry Rose, do you know where Fruitland Park is in Florida? The story was covered by Fox 35 in Orlando. I'm guessing it might be somewhere in the central part of the state. I guess, yeah. I'm not familiar with it, yeah. But very impressive. Three for three. I will give you a Wow, hold on. Yeah, I'll even – wow. I got lucky. Hold on there, Barry. We have two more Florida man stories because we're nothing if not – What? 
We're givers. Thank you. Barry Rose. Yes, sir. So I saw a rather humorous meme. I don't know. Are you familiar with the memes, Barry? Yeah, that, and that's, the kids are into these, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, the youngsters, if you will. And right. so I saw this one that was so funny, and, and I said to myself, uh, self, uh, let's find out if there's any uh, basis of reality to this. So I uh, Googled this title, and I came up with this article from the uh, well-established uh, website, Mother of All Nerds. <laughs> so – uh, I, I hope there's some validity to this because it's such a great headline. Barry Rose, the headline reads, Man abducts scientists to make his dog immortal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it says, uh, Philip Joseph has decided that his dog should have eternal life because the loss of his loved one would be devastating. He loves his dog too much and he can't let him die, he explains. All dog owners would love to never have. Uh, Barry, I think you and I can safely agree. We would both. Be completely down for this with our dogs, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, they would never have to worry about their four-legged friend moving on to the afterlife. But Joseph had taken it to a different level. He's trying to figure out how to immortalize his dog on his own. He doesn't, by the way, wasn't this the, uh, basic plot summary of that, uh, Stephen King book, Pet Cemetery, Barry? Yeah, it's identical to that. Yes. Yeah, anyway, uh, so uh, the idea suddenly came to mind. Why not kidnap a scientist, says Joseph to himself while laughing diabolically. Uh, so he kidnapped Ryan Lockhart, a doctor and scientist. Only uh, one can only imagine what was going on in Ryan's mind at that point. No laboratory, no secret chemical formula to keep the dog alive. And a crazy guy holding him hostage, trying to figure out what his next move was going to be. The good thing is that they found the Florida scientists before, and uh, I'm sorry, police found the Florida scientists before anything catastrophic could occur. He was found by police after Ryan's family noticed he was missing and started an investigation. However, Joseph didn't face any charges because apparently this is a mistake anyone who loves their dog as much as Joseph does will make when pressed against a life-altering question. Um, so Barry Rose, this crazy story is it Florida man or not? You know what it sounds like, too, as you're talking about this, there was a show on Hulu, but I guess it was an FX show this past, I guess maybe this past summer or early fall called The Patient with Steve Carell, where, are you familiar with the show, Jeff? I don't think I am. So 10 episodes, I recommend it, though I'll tell you, this is not a feel-good show. You're going to be a little bummed out. Essentially, a guy who is uh, a patient of a psychologist or psychiatrist kidnaps him and chains him in his basement. Yes, I remember the trailer from that. Give him private therapy. So it sounds very familiar. This did not take place in Florida, Jeff. This took place in – this is Missouri. This, matter of fact, did take place in Florida. Ah, You're wrong. No No city listed, but it does call him, quote, unquote, Florida man. So uh, next story, Barry, uh, that's just such a – such a great, uh, oh my God, such a great headline. So, uh, let's see what we got here next. Barry, the headline reads, teen finds out anonymous internet bully who harassed her for a year is actually her mom. Wow. Whoa, Barry Rose. Wow. A woman has been hit with felony charges amid accusations that she catfished and cyber bullied her own daughter for an entire wow. year. Kendra Lakari was charged earlier this week following a year-long investigation, which began when a school received a complaint about cyberbullying. It was Lakari's daughter and the boy her daughter was seeing at the time who were victims of the harassment. So Lakari worked with the boy's mother and school officials to figure out who could be behind it. This is a fucking crazy story, Barry wow. Rose. Florida woman or not. 
What a horrible eat. No, this yeah, is. Yeah. Can you just fucking imagine? Oh, my yeah. God. These are the kind of stories. Good that got it with felonies, too, which I love. These are the kind of stories. This, this screams Texas to me, Jeff, for some reason. Ah. Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Oh, Barry Rose, you lost again. Barry, as we begin rounding the uh, old corner heading for home, I do have one last question I want to ask you. It's based on, you know, on the old Facebook, uh, there is a uh, a site called Fail Blog, which right. is sort of a a fun little thing. They throw out little random questions or they'll, you know, post random memes. It's a fun follow. Uh, so they offered this question the other day, and I saw some interesting responses, and it led me to wanting to ask you this question, Barry Rose. The question right. is, what is your pettiest, you know, of course, now, let me just say before I ask this question, of course, you're uh, well-established now in your uh, relationship with the lovely Linda. I've been with Kim for. And I'm also work. Eddie. So, yeah, it makes well, sense. Well, yeah, of course, that, that's another story. All yeah. And I've been with Kim for 20 years. But we're going to offer up each of our choices. Barry, what is your pettiest deal breaker or what was your pettiest deal breaker when it came to dating? Oh. This is like a Seinfeld segment almost, yes. right? I'm, well, while you're thinking, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some okay. of the examples of what people said. I mean, I, I've got mine. Do you okay. Gotta, yeah. So some of the questions or some of the answers that uh, on the on the particular uh, uh, segment that was asked, uh, there was one person that said loud chewing. Okay. Uh, somebody else says uh, somebody you'd actually like this. Someone who's rude to customer service or retail yes. workers. Yeah. Someone who has road rage while while I'm in the car. Uh, let's see, uh, someone who says, uh, let's see, a man who takes longer to get ready than I do. Uh, then we have, oh, oh here's a good one, bad breath or bad teeth. Uh, let's see, uh, another one said, um, a man who lisp. Uh, let's see, smokers. It's a little shallow, isn't it? This is like yeah, well, shallow, yeah, there, there are like, some shallow ones here. Yeah. Uh, here, here's one that especially got my, uh, guy with my, a lisp. Come on now. Uh, okay. How about this one? There was a woman that said, Someone that does not use movie quotes. <laughs> All right. So, I agree. She's yeah, right. Exactly. So now with those as an example, Barry Rose, tell me what is your pettiest deal breaker for dating? Somebody that wants to have full out conversations either during a movie or a television show that I'm deeply into. So if we're sitting there, let's, let's use stranger things. And then people want to, you know, talk to me about, uh, the clothes that somebody's wearing or their hairstyle and then talk for 15 minutes about it. I'm out. I don't, I can't do it. Well, when I was, does that, on, does that make me petty? No, no, that, no that's, uh, that's All an right. example, I think. Uh, I will give you two, uh, back in my dating days before I met the sainted Mrs. B. Uh, number one, did not want to be with someone who was a smoker. That was, you know, because you know what? Uh, if you're a smoker, no matter how many times you brush the teeth or you use the mouthwash or you, uh, you know, uh, take a mint or chew some gum, that smell of smoke is still with you. And, uh, I can remember dating a girl, uh, who was a smoker and when you kissed them, uh, you know, it's like the proverbial kissing the ashtray. That was a definite uh, turnoff. Uh, the other one, uh, and this is, again, going back now some uh, over 20 years, uh, I have somewhat uh, come down on this, but, you know, like uh, lightened up a little bit on this particular position uh, because of the, uh, let's just say, the influx in today's society of this particular thing. But, um, wow, 20-plus uh, years ago, I really hated women that had tattoos, Barry. Wow. Yeah, I, oh man, I, I, I dated this woman. I, I'll give you a story. I don't know if I told this story before. I dated this woman uh, named Robin. 
Uh, this was about uh, a couple of years before I met Kim. And she was a, a, a really nice woman, uh, you know, good looking girl. She had a tattoo. It was like something like, I don't know, like a rose or, you know, something not really garish or ridiculous right on right on the old boob. OK, or on, uh, above the boob. And uh, she went with me uh, to uh, we went up, I think it was for like Thanksgiving to visit my parents. And so. When we met my parents, she was like wearing like a, you know, a sweater or a shirt or something like that. And the next morning, breakfast time came and I'm sitting there having breakfast with my parents. And we'd been dating like, I want to say like two or three months at this point. And she comes out for breakfast and she's wearing like a shirt that has a V-neck. And there's that tattoo. (laughs) And I remember just thinking, wow, she's like just putting that tattoo out there for my parents to see. And you know what? My parents might have like been like, who cares? You know, like, I, you know, he's dating someone has a tattoo. Who cares? But to me, I remember thinking, okay, I got to break up with this girl somehow. Cause this, this just isn't going to work. So now that being said, I was so classy that I, uh, I broke up with her like a week later. And then of course, after the Christmas break was over, <laughs> Mr. Cheapskate called her up now that I didn't have to buy her a gift and said, Hey, why don't you come over and have dinner? And, uh, smart. Yeah. And we, uh, she came over. I made her uh, a delicious dinner. Uh, I got the old hookup and then, uh, I don't think I ever called her again. So I was a nice guy back yeah, then. That's pretty smart. A- yeah. Anyway, on that note, it's time for the old go on Barry Rose. I'm sure you're ready to, uh, to go home. Oh, today, I'm ready, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Barry could do a good five hour segment if we'd let him. I know he would. So <laughs> I will say on behalf of our producer, Lou Kippelman, and, uh, I am Jeff Bowdrin. They call me the booker. Good night, Kenny. I'll see you in the morning, buddy. And my co-host, Barry Rose, take this ship into port, Mr. Lewis.